Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Guys, really good to be with you tonight on this dark and chilly evening, uh, well into the semester now, and uh, you know we've been just plowing through the book of Philippians already. We're over halfway through. We have a few weeks left in Philippians, uh, and actually next week we have the privilege of uh, our very own Jonathan Keller is going to be up here speaking to us, so we're going to step away from Philippians for a week for that, and we'll actually finish Philippians uh, in uh, three more weeks after this, and we'll have a couple other passages from the Bible to look at later in the semester, but uh, we've been going through this series called Joy in a World Gone Flat, from the, this letter of Paul from prison in Rome to the Philippian church in Greece, this church that he started and moved on once it was established and eventually ended up in prison. And uh, what's amazing about this letter is how much Paul rejoices in it, how much joy he expresses, although his, his life circumstances are so not good at this point in his life. Like, they don't seem good. He's locked up in chains. And he's been hinting at it, like, why he has joy. How can he have joy? We've talked about it some uh, how, could, how could he be resilient and joyful even when his life has taken this kind of turn? And we all want that, don't we? Like, we want, like, if I could have that kind of joy and that kind of resilience, I would take that. And so that's what he's going to kind of get at, like, this is why. This is how to be joyful and resilient tonight in this passage from Philippians 3. So let me read it for us. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Pray with me again. Uh, Heavenly Father, we come to this text, uh, many of us tired and weary, many of us feeling uh, 
encouraged, but many of us feeling discouraged. Uh, Some coming in faith and maybe some coming in doubt. And we pray that no matter who we are and where we come from tonight, that you would meet us there in this great text from your word. Uh, Change us, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're talking tonight about resilience and joy and becoming resilient and joyful people. And it's this question of, like, what is it that makes you strong and secure? And what I want us to see is that no matter who we are, we're all looking to something for our resilience and our joy. And the way to figure out what you're looking to is to ask yourself this question. When things go wrong in your life, when things like take a bad turn, how do you try to cheer yourself up? What do you tell yourself? You say, it's okay. What? Like, it's okay, I've got a great resume still. Or it's okay, I'm still on track to get a three-point whatever. It's okay, I've, I've, I come from a great family. I'll be fine. It's okay, I'm prettier than most people. It's okay, people like me. I have friends. It's okay, people want to date me. It's okay, I'm a better person than most people. It's okay, I'm more talented. It's okay, I'm more faithful. What is it for you? And I want you to think about all those, and I want you to think, like, what do they all have in common? And what they all have in common is that they're all ways of looking to our own selves for resilience and joy. It's looking to ourselves, and it's, a, it's an interesting problem that we have because we have a love-hate relationship with ourselves. Like, we're looking to ourselves, and we have this love-hate hate relationship with ourselves. First of all, we love ourselves, right? Like, if you were at the conference this weekend, Russ Whitfield, our speaker, gave the example of, like, when someone cuts you off in traffic. And, you know, my instinct is to be like, no, you, like, do you know who you're dealing with? Like, do you know how important I am? Like, what, like, you don't know what, who you're doing this to. Like, I love myself. Um, think about the sheer amount of time we spend thinking about ourselves, right? If you, if you spent all the time thinking about yourself, thinking about one other person, people would be scared of you because you would be obsessed with that person. Uh, this is why... Those like you know those quizzes that are all over the internet. That's like which office character are you, or like which you know, whatever you know. Like there's a zillion ones of these. Like which you know Harry Potter house are you in? There's a zillion of them, and you know they're filled with ads, right? Like advertisers love these quizzes because when we come across them, like we're scrolling through, and it's like ooh. You know, an opportunity to think more about me. Okay, like, we all are drawn to that because we love ourselves, but at the same time, a lot of us kind of hate ourselves, too. Uh, This is why we distract ourselves so much, right? This is why when you walk around, like, when people are in line uh, downstairs in the U, they can't just stand in line and just be... They have to, we have to look at, pull out our phones at any minute of like inactivity because it's so hard to just be with ourselves sometimes. Uh, not to mention that we say things to ourselves that we would never say to anyone else. We say things like, you're so ugly. Or you're so weak. You're so fat. You're such a failure. All these things that we tell ourselves that we would never, you would never say that to anyone else but yourself. 
So we love ourselves and we hate ourselves. And yet that's where we're always looking for our identity. And so that's what I want to look at tonight. I want to look at the ways we try to build this secure identity, like we're talking about. And then I want to look at the flaws in those approaches that Paul shows. And then I want us to see the key to resilience and joy that Paul gives in this passage. So first of all, I want to just look at the ways we try to build our own secure identity that Paul shows us. And this is a great passage because Paul shows us like how he has tried to do this in the past. And there's still things that we do as well. Like some things never change. And the way Paul has tried to build an identity for himself is just like us in a lot of ways. And in this passage, he kind of shows there's a traditional way of building your own secure identity. And there's a modern way uh, that we do. Uh, but first of all, I want us to think about the traditional way, which is like your family is your identity. Your tribe is your identity. Your background, your culture, uh, your family. You know, they, they tell you, you look to that to tell you who you are and to tell you that you're secure. This would be, for example, like in The Lion King with Simba at the beginning of that movie when he's brushing up on looking down and working on his roar because he just can't wait to be king. Uh, that's, that, his whole understanding of who he is is based on this narrative, like this is who you are. You're from this family. You are a king. You have to start acting like you learn to roar. You've got to learn to look down. It's all based on his family's expectation of him. And Paul actually says, like, I used to be this way. His way of saying it is, I used to put confidence in the flesh. And we see it in verse 5 up there. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of Hebrew of Hebrews. It's this way of saying, like, I'm a descendant of Abraham. Like, I I have the right background. I have the right pedigree. So for Paul, it was like, you know, it's okay. I've got the right background. I've got the right pedigree. I'm set because I have this family, this background. And that's kind of the traditional approach that people have always done. Uh, I'm connected to a family. I'm connected to something that makes me secure. But then there's this modern way. And this is kind of more what we, we do that way a little, but we do the modern way more, which is looking inward. And this is like, you know, forget about your family, right? Who cares what family you're from? Forget about your culture. And these are the words that you'll see everywhere. Follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Or the more modern way to say follow your heart is you do you. Just do you. Like, it's, it's just, don't listen to anyone else. This is like, this is me. I'm doing great. I decide. I'm my own person. And that, and that approach, who you are, is about what you do. It's about what you choose it's about what you produce. And we see Paul doing a little of this too. Like in verse 6, he says, As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Like it's his way of saying, like, I did everything right also. Like I was on it. Like everything about my life, like you could hold a microscope up to it. And it was like I was producing. I was doing it right. I was blameless. And that's... You know, that's the modern way. That's, that's the way we also tend to secure, you know, find a secure identity to find resilience and joy. But I want us to think now about the flaws in that approach. Uh, the, pro, the flaws with 
uh, building your own secure identity in those ways. And we see it, like Paul says it in verses 7 and 8. He says, whatever gain I had, I count as loss. Indeed, in verse 8, he says, I count everything as lost. And he later goes on to say, I count them as rubbish, which is kind of like a prim and proper word, but like the word is dung or feces. So he's saying like, you know, all that stuff, it's crap. It's just like a big pile of crap. My resume, my heritage, what I've produced, like all this good stuff I've done, it's all just a big pile of crap compared to knowing Christ. And so I want us just to think, like, why is he said, what's wrong with these ways of building a secure identity? And what's really wrong with them is that they're crushing. Like, anyone who's tried to do this knows that there's no, there's no actually security in these approaches. They're all crushing. Think about the traditional approach, right? Uh, we don't think of ourselves as that traditional today. We're modern people, but there's still lots of ways in which we're looking to our background, to our culture, to our family, for our, our, our sense of identity and security. Um, for instance, where you're from can be kind of a big deal still, right? A lot of people take a lot of pride in where they come from. Some of you feel, feel pressure to, like, when you go back home over breaks and stuff, to, like, have something to show for yourself, to your family or the neighbors or people in your town or whatever it is, right? Um, you know, what family you come from, for some of us, is kind of a big deal. A lot of us come from families where, you know, you didn't really get to choose your major. Like, you got to choose, like, there, there's a few, like, acceptable majors and things like that, but you didn't really get to choose. Uh, because in this family, like, this is, you, you do, like, serious things. You know, you do things that'll give you a secure job or something like that. Um, you know, or maybe for some of you, it's like, you better come back. Like, you can go away to college, but you better come back here. Or for some of you, you come from families where, like, a lot of the hopes of your family are actually pinned on you. And if, you, if that's you, if any of those situations are you, you know how miserable that can be to feel that pressure, to feel that expectation, to just be kind of, like, locked into this box of, like, this is who I can be and nothing else. This is what the ex- is expected of me and I can do no other. It's the plot of the movie, which I've seen 70 times, Frozen, right? It's Elsa, like, Elsa is, you know, she has magical powers, but because she's the queen, she's under all this pressure to, like, act like a queen, and no one can know about him, and so she wears gloves her whole life, and she locks herself away in her room her whole life. And, you know, it's miserable until she finally breaks free, right? She finally goes off on her own, um, that's why, like, that's why Paul says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers. Like, it's kind of a drastic thing to say, right? But the reason he says it's so bad, like, circumcision is a Jewish, it's a sign of God's covenant with God's people. It was meant to be a sign of God's commitment to his people. And what the, God's people did with it is made it like a sign of superiority instead. They made it like you know, this box that you check off to make sure that you're secure and everything's right. And so, uh, like, Paul is so worked up because he knows that, like, if you, like, there were people telling these Christians, like, you have to check off that box. And if you don't, then maybe you don't, maybe you won't be secure. Maybe you won't have uh, everything you need to have. And Paul says, if you take that approach, it will not stop. There will always be another box 
to check off? Or what if you fail? What if you don't live up to the family name? Then what? Okay? He knows it will crush you. There's no security in it because you won't live up at some point. And I know a lot of you feel this. I know a lot of you that I talk to as you think about like who you are now in college, where you're headed, have this fear and this pressure of like, what if I don't measure up to what these people want from me? And so a lot of us have given up on that approach and gone straight to the modern approach of, you know, you do you. And what I want us to see is that it sounds nice at first, but it's just as crushing, if not more, as the traditional approach. Like, it sounds nice at first, right? You get to do whatever you want. Be whatever you want. You decide. I am who I say I am, but it's crushing because it becomes this never-ending treadmill of doing. Like, we never arrive. We're never complete. We never get to stop performing. There's no security in that either. If you are what you do, what that means is you have to keep doing. Like, when can you say you've done enough if you are what you do? Or what if you screw up really bad? How can you know you're okay? Uh, I want us to watch a short clip. Uh, this is an uh, interview with Lady Gaga. Massive star, right? Like the pinnacle of like pop stardom. Uh, this is uh, just a clip of her talking before a sold-out show at Madison Square Garden. So, like, it's the pinnacle of entertainment performance. And I want, to, I want us to see what she says. So, Christiana, go ahead and uh, cue that up for us. This has some profanity in it. So, I read it. intense, right? You hear what she's saying? She's saying, like, I'm playing, like, I'm performing at the garden, and I still feel like I have to tell myself I'm not a loser. And every day I have to do it again and again. Like, does that sound like resilience and joy to you? You know, that's that's where putting your hope in yourself, you know, rooting your identity and who you are in your ability to perform and do will take you, right? I'm sure there's moments that are great, but like underlying it all is just this like sadness, this like it's never enough, this misery. Uh, You'll never be enough or do enough to be secure. This is why like, you know, we post things on social media and like we get a lot of likes, but it's not like enough, right? Like why didn't more people like it? Or what if I like, if I post something tomorrow, will it get as many likes? Uh, 
we live for this stuff because our source of security is so often ourselves, not to mention that we often fall drastically short of our expectations. Uh, anyone, was anyone here, maybe a couple of you, I don't know, when the mac and cheese incident happened downstairs? Melissa remembers this. this I think it was about four years ago. So maybe Melissa's freshman year. And uh, this was, there was a student at UConn and he got drunk and came downstairs to the U late at night and demanded jalapeno bacon mac and cheese. And he starts, you know, they're not serving him because he's so drunk. And he just goes on this tirade. He's like making fun of all the people working there, talking about like how bad their job is and how worthless they are. Like he's just like laying into them. And a student is recording this, like a video of it. It goes on YouTube. Like this, the video ends with him getting arrested uh, in the U, like right down there. And it goes viral. Like friends of mine from Alabama are like texting me being like, I saw this video at UConn. <laughs> like it was national, this student from UConn. And, you know, everyone immediately is like, this kid is the worst. Like he's like, who let him into this school, etc." And he actually later posted an apology video. And you could probably, I don't know if that's still on YouTube. I don't know if any of this is still on YouTube. Hopefully not for his sake. But in the apology video, he apologizes to like the Yukon community and his family and stuff. And, he's, and he says, you know, I look at that video and I just think like, I don't even know who that is. Like, and it's an interesting thing to say because what you want to say is, it's you. Like, that's, you, you know, like, you were drunk, and that's your excuse, but, like, if anything, being drunk makes you more you. Like, you have to be able to reckon with the fact that that was you. And if you can't, like, it'll totally mess you up. Like, it's so confusing. It's so, like, discombobulating. Like, this is, how could that, like, that is me. If you're looking to who you are and what you do from, for your security, you'll never be able to just be able to just be honest with yourself and say, yeah, that was me, actually. If we tell ourselves, I'm okay because I'm a good person and I do good things, and then someone catches us at our worst, we're crushed. And that's why we hide, right? That's why we do things like, you know, there's that thing that we did that no one can ever know about, or there's that, like, sexual thing in our lives that, like, no one can know about, or there's this addiction that we have that no one, if anyone knows, we're done, or this family history that if anyone finds out about, we're done. That's why we promote, uh, you know, we show our good stuff. That's why we get online and say, like, look at this awesome picture of me. Look at this fun stuff I do. This is, you know, this is the real me, and if you live that life, it's exhausting. The life of hiding and promoting will wear you out. And that's why Paul can say these ways of trying to find an identity and security and resilience and joy are all crap. They don't get you security and resilience and joy. And that's where we get to the key to resilience and joy. It's at the end of this passage in verse 9. It says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Righteousness is a word from the Bible that essentially means your resume, like the one that Paul listed. It essentially means your credentials, like this is what you have to show for yourself. And what Paul is saying is, I have a righteousness now 
And it's not, it's not mine. Like, it's from God. I got it through Jesus Christ. And the way uh, a friend of mine, I, I, a pastor I know, uh, who I really learned a lot from in preparing this sermon, uh, uses this illustration that I think is really probably the best way to kind of explain what this is. So I want you to imagine that, you know, there's a big basketball game tomorrow, last home game of the season on Gamble, and imagine that, like, tonight I go home and Coach Hurley calls me up and is like, hey, Lucas, listen, I've seen what you do on that little kid's hoop that your kids play on, and I want you on the team. I want you to be down at Gamble tomorrow night. And so I go. I'm like, all right. And I go out there. And I got my Yukon jersey. It says Dorado on the back. I'm feeling good about that. And, you know, I'm out there running around. And obviously, I'm the smallest and slowest person out there. So I'm going to do terribly, right? And so, like, at the end of the game, like, all I've done is turn the ball over. Zero points, zero rebounds, zero assists, zero everything except mistakes, right? And... Uh, imagine, you know, like, who's the... Jalen Adams, one of the best players on the team, right? He has an amazing game, like he often does. And yet, tomorrow, the next day in the Daily Campus, there's an article written up about the game, and it's like, you know, who is this Dorado character? Like, he dominated. He scored all these points. Like, he led the team. And, and what is the deal with Jalen Adams? He, like... Zero points, zero assists, zero rebounds. And, you know, how would you make sense of that except to realize that our jerseys had been switched? Our jerseys were switched. And so everything bad that I did gets thrown on him, and everything good that he did gets thrown on me. That's what happens at the cross. Jesus' work on the cross does that. The reason he has to die in that way is because he's taking all our bad on him. And his sacrificial death and his resurrection from the dead is his way of placing all his good, everything good that he ever did, his resume getting placed on us. Okay, do you want to talk about security There's no greater security than having the resume of Jesus Christ that can be had simply by faith, simply by saying, yeah, I need that. I'll take it. There's no no more security than like having the king of the universe look on your resume and be like, yep, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Uh, Think about like the resilience you could have. Think about the things you could endure knowing that you had that resume. Paul talks about suffering here at the end of this passage. Think about all the suffering, the strength of, you, of endurance you would have if you knew at the end of the day, it's okay. Jesus Christ's credentials are mine. Think about, like, we've been talking a lot over the last few weeks and even at the conference this weekend about, like, stepping out and loving people in ways that are risky and that might create awkwardness. Like, think about how easy it would be to endure awkwardness if at the end of the day you could say in the eyes of the creator of the universe, I am his beloved son. The one who did everything right. 
or think about failure, the, the failures you are going through now or have gone through, right? It doesn't mean that they're not like bad or hard. Like failure is hard. Suffering is hard. But if you have Jesus' credentials, the failures don't crush you like they used to. If you have Jesus' credentials, they don't destroy you like they used to. All right? That's the power of the resurrection that Paul is talking about in this passage. Uh, the secret of resilience and joy is allowing the gospel to be your only identity. Allowing the gospel, the righteousness of Christ, given to you to be the only thing that defines you and who you are. Right? That's who, like, I'm a sinner. I don't get a lot of things right. I make a lot of mistakes. That's who I am. It wouldn't surprise me if I screwed up something really big like tomorrow. But I'm a sinner saved by grace. I have a righteousness that's not my own. And I can't lose it. I'm free. I can rejoice in the Lord. I can glory in Christ, as Paul writes. That's why the gospel is so good, guys. Like, life without the gospel is just like a path to misery and wearing out. But if we are found in Christ, if we glory in him, if that's our only glory, then we're just free. Life just opens up. And so I'm just going to close by praying that that would happen for each of us. So let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, The news is so good in this gospel, Lord, and I pray that it would just penetrate our hearts that often are just constantly seeking after sources of security that are not you, uh, that don't leave us in joyful and resilient places, but just leave us clawing for any kind of security, Lord. Set us free, we pray. Help us to hope in Christ. Help us to be found in him. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.